All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Halper. Matt, you look like Paul Schaefer combined with, <laughs> I don't know who. Who's I, I was thinking of this more as a G-Love and special sauce type of thing, but yeah. uh, it could be it could be anybody. Yeah. Look, when, you, when, you're, when you're a bald man, you got to experiment with different kinds of headgear. So, yeah, I guess so. I actually, I have a sleep hat now. You know those things like what? with the, you know, the eye in my stocking and he in his cap, you no, know? No, like you the, don't. I do. I absolutely have one of those. Why? I, I wear it at night. It's funny. Do your kids, does your family laugh? Yes, they laugh. My kids laugh they, every time I wear it. How how long has this gag been going on? A couple of weeks. It's it's like it's a COVID uh, development. Right. You know, you you start to order weird stuff online because right. what else what else are you are you, you going to be doing during this time? So, yeah, but it's not COVID about, resistant or anything. It's just for fun. No, it's just a it's just a a stocking cap with a long funny ball on it. That's really funny. Yeah, it's very funny. So how are you doing psychologically during this whole thing? I'm okay. It's really weird. Again, I feel very distant from all of it. Yeah, I'm I'm just struggling to the let's just say the upside is it, to this whole era is elusive to me. I think we know we are going to find at the end of this when this is all over that we're learning a lot about things that aren't good, you know, like driving and highway deaths and spending not as much time with our families and um i really realize how much i miss the movies movie theaters movie theaters huh. and friends i feel like this here you said the the benefit what did you say the benefit is elusive the the upside yeah. upside i really think that it makes me appreciate just friends mm -hmm. normal friends like who i haven't been able to see that much at slash right. at all um, right that and movie theaters and popcorn in movie theaters. Right. My God, right. is that good? Yeah, popcorn in movie theaters is excellent. All right. Well, uh, th this is just getting curiouser and curiouser, this whole situation. I How think. many platitudes can we fit into this intro? A lot. We, we, At the we, end we, of the day. At the end of the day, when all is said and done. When all is said and done. Long uh, story only, short. Only time will tell. Only time uh, will tell. Yeah, one um, way or another. One way or another. Uh, ultimately, um, in any effect, no, in any event. In any event. Th those yeah. are kind of Yenta-ish platitudes. There was actually a, a newscaster in uh, in Russia, this guy named Yevgeny Kisilov, and uh, he, he used so many nonsense phrases that we used to take them and cut them out and see how long the actual broadcast was if you took out that's really funny yeah it was really funny see so like a 50 a 50 minute broadcast would actually end up being you know about 22 minutes if you took what, out all the filler what phrases. kind of what kind of words were they the filler phrases well in russian there were things like and stati and like they're like in other words and right. as uh, you know as we're saying and, right you know, what we're, what have you yeah, what have you? That that sort of thing. And whatnot, and whatnot. All right, all right we're drifting here. Let's let's get to to the four food groups, shall yeah. we? What do you yes, think? Yes, shall we? Um, yeah, let's do it. Lots of stuff happened this week. What do we have for Democrats suck this week? And that's you, isn't it? Yes, that's me. Yeah, for Democrats suck. There's so much. Let's see. Let's start off with the Pelosi um, sharing her ice cream, which uh, was seen as somewhat out of touch. Let's watch a, a couple of seconds or the opening of this video, and then we can see what um, Trump turned it into. Because when life gives you ice cream, make uh, agitprop videos. Show and tell. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, what have you found? What are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate. Really? Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate candy. Oh, wow. And 
this is this is something you can get through the mail. Okay. Run out. Now show me. Yeah, absolutely. She this is the episode she just of Cribs. The I never knew I needed. I know. Notice it says ice cream, oh, not ice my. cream. But wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> See, I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. So there's that, right? And then let's see what Trump made out of this. The shutdown. It will be up to Congress to restock it. But Democrats blocking that move this morning. They asked for a quarter of a trillion dollars in 48 hours. I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. They objected, and I congratulate the Senate Democrats. Speaker Pelosi, what are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate candy. Thousands have been forced to wait for hours at food banks all across the country. This is... Oh, my... Chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. We just got to restock the ice cream. You don't want to eat up everything all at one time. I can't do it much longer. I'm trying so hard. We're, do we say, enjoying? Having to admit that, yeah, we're, we're starving, and... I like it better than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, what what is there even to say about that? Look, like everybody in America is just such a, an asshole right now. Like, oh, I mean, it, those are two pretty vile pieces of political messaging, one on top of the other. I know it's hard, it's hard really to weigh pure. them. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's just because it's hard to weigh them because Donald Trump is so not salt of the earth, but he's such a good troll. And again, the Dems can't do like Republicans. This is expected of them. This is built into it that they're these elitists. But Dems, really, this is not a good look for them, even though we know that they are. It's also the type of ice cream. Like, if you were going to catch Donald Trump eating ice cream, you'd catch him, like, breaking into a 7-Eleven and just eating whatever whatever was there. You know like what I mean? Edie's? Like, Edie's? Edie's yeah, or, like, Turkey Hill? Yeah, exactly. And he would just be pouring, like you know hershey's syrup on yeah, top of it or even cream. or even like drinking yeah like mainlining it as he and maraschino cherries like pouring a bunch of them like the really you know low yeah exactly ones. just totally yeah. indifferent to what kind of ice cream like right. it's, it's just ice cream whereas she's got the she's got the sort organic, of quasi organic and then the dove bar like the dove bar is just it's i'm sorry it's the international symbol of upscale democratic voter right yeah I mean, yeah it's like instead of the bat symbol that's what they, they flash at each other yeah, they flash a dove bar up yeah. uh, in, in the skyline I don't know, but that's such a low blow to be like, oh, we're, we're starving. And then here she is. With I know. Her. And I'll, right, exactly. It's not like Trump is doing that much to like alleviate the suffering of people. But also a lot of people online were talking about how expensive that refrigerator was. But I wouldn't have known that. I mean, what should she have done? Obviously, these people are going to have expensive. I can't believe I'm defending Nancy Pelosi and her refrigeration choices. But obviously, Pelosi, you know, is not going to have what, like a. An ice box, as my dad actually calls a refrigerator. Not kidding. Um, she should have one of those little sixty-dollar student fridges. You know, you know what I mean? The one with like one, one shelf on it. Yeah. It's it's more the whole effect. It's the designer ice cream with the big shiny dual fridge and right. the the dress. She's she's dressed like an aristocrat in a futuristic yeah. movie. The uh, you know what I mean? The, like a sweater tied around the yeah, shoulder. like sleeper or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, not a good look for the Democrats there. I mean, what is she supposed to do? Except although I guess. I guess opening up your fridge to reveal the, the the fridge full of designer ice creams is not a good look. It maybe not like thing one you would do for messaging in the middle in the middle of a pandemic, which is becoming increasingly serious. So. Although on the other hand, she'd get totally 
you know, reamed for showing something at all salt of the earth because that wouldn't be authentic either. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, obviously, I have a larger gripe with Nancy Pelosi this week. Do we, we, we have time to talk about that? Well, yeah, but can we, what do you think of our ice cream flavor choices? What's your flavor? Oh, what's my flavor? Any? Chocolate, vanilla, coffee. What do you, what's your thing? My flavor is ice cream. If it's ice cream, I'll eat it, basically. But you don't have any preferences? I mean, I guess if I have gun to my head, like strawberry or anything with coconut what? in it, maybe, but yeah. Strawberry? Yeah. I mean, there's a time and place for that, but your my basic is a mint chocolate. Not that you're asking. Mint chocolate chip. I love that. Coffee is really good. You know what's really oddly good is Chubby Hubby. And the fact that that Chubby is around, Hubby is good. Yep. despite its name, that's a real marketing risk. It is. Yes. Have I told you the story? I, I visited the actual Ben & Jerry's factory in, uh, in, in Karelia. Uh, oh. In the, the sister city, the, the, the Vermont um sister province up in russia it's a it's north oh, right. of that, that bernie made right burlington yeah and, well uh, it's one of them yeah so well what it, it wasn't the city that they talked about in that, that news story there's another place okay. called karelia which sort of used to be part of finland but they have a ben and jerry's factory up there i went i went up there and they were um they were <laughs> first of all you could get like a gallon of ben and jerry's ice cream for like eight cents which was amazing wow. but they they were developing um chunky monkey and they needed a, they needed a name to market it in russia and the name they were gonna they were gonna go with i don't know if they ever did this was banana karenina which i always thought oh was my great. god that's so good right yeah, yeah. I thought that was terrific uh well just well so while we're quickly on the subject of nancy pelosi we don't have to get into this too much but uh, i did write a piece this week about the uh democrats choice for the congressional oversight panel which was basically the the whole bailout has three main oversight features to it there is a an inspector general who's going to over, overlook the whole ballot bailout <laughs> there is a panel of inspectors general uh that is going to be assembled but that's th those two things are entirely executive branch so it's all trump people so right. you can't expect too much from there and the last one is this thing called the congressional oversight panel which is one person picked by schumer one person picked by pelosi a compromise choice and then two republicans right and the republicans pick two total killers who understand all this stuff and banking experience derivatives experience everything democrat schumer picked a guy uh barat ramamurti who is a, a warren staffer okay. everybody likes him but um you know young hasn't been you know has only only ever worked for elizabeth warren and then the last choice everybody was sort of hanging on what who would nancy pelosi pick for this crucial oversight position to oversee tr trillions of dollars uh, and to look for crime and, and, and graft and all that stuff. And she picked Donna Shalala. And the instant that happened last week, like my phone lit up, all these people called. Because <laughs> obviously Donna Shalala is the former head of the, uh, the HHS under Clinton and a congresswoman now in Florida. Doesn't sit on financial services, has no financial services expertise whatsoever, has never done anything involving any of this stuff so the, the, the universal reaction was why like why would you put somebody on who who is not going to be able to understand what she's looking at right um it bothered me it bothered, bothered a bunch of other folks it's like you get you get one shot also just politically they could have used this in a great way over the summer to stand up and say look at trump he's doling out all these favors to wall street and you know they're the 
the bailout programs don't work for regular people and you know all you get is this one-time check and meanwhile blackrock and all these evil companies are getting hundreds of billions of dollars right and they they pick somebody who has like 26 pages of stock holdings including blackrock bond funds and you know and who has a net worth of somewhere between four and 13 million dollars it's just it, wow. it, it, make, it makes it impossible for them to to do anything to make any noise about that subject which right. i just don't understand politically just even on a cynical level i don't get it well matt you know you're asking why donna shalala is a good choice and i get why you think she isn't because she has no experience in this but here's i think i think it's pretty apparent when you see this why she was a good choice this is my <laughs> it's not sickle mode but it's good <laughs> Mr. Chairman, I have a completely different take on this bill. So, you know, she just dropped the mic and Fight Song is a great song. And I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but in 2016, a bunch of movie stars uh, did like a version uh, of that of that song for Hillary Clinton. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's uh, the that great video, but uh, it r- remains to be seen whether whether that the project on government over oversight is actually calling for her today. As we speak, they're calling for her to step down. So, well, you know what her response is going to be to that. <laughs> this is that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. So Republicans suck. Uh, lots to work with this week. I think we got to just start with the basics. Yeah, which is the you know Donald Trump's. You know, liberate all these states things, which has resulted in one of the greatest photos I think we've seen of this era. Uh, Dan, can we take a look at the the Shaun of the Dead photo here? (laughs) So, right? So, so I'm I'm someone who tends to take a jaded view of a lot of the the flipping out about Donald Trump. You right, know, as we like, did last week, yeah. As we did last week, and, and there are there are things that drive me nuts about the way like Trump is covered. So every time Trump says something, it's become like this, um, like a like a cliche feature of of the press, where you do a sidebar story where you have a reporter call a legal expert and say, mm-hmm. "Could this be illegal that he right. said this? Right? Could 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 he have broken laws just by saying X, Y, and Z? Right? right? So it's it's become this incredibly annoying like thing that you have to just weed the noise out of the reporting yeah. because they're constantly looking for 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 some a- extra smoking horrible gun. angle yeah smoking gun but this is this is like genuinely well, yeah. nuts you know and and I, I i struggle even to see where trump is coming from i normally i i, I you see feel angle. like i can see even what the evil angle is on what yeah. he's up to. I mean, he, he clearly he wants to reopen as quickly as possible because the economy depends on, and he thinks the economy is his, his ticket to being uh, reelected. Yeah. And he also thinks, he, and he's, he does have this, this idea that these lockdowns are rooted in a conspiracy against him right. to ruin the economy, which is nuts on like a bunch of different levels, but these people are gonna fuck they're gonna die but matt can you set up what exactly trump is doing that is creating these uh shawn of the dead images so he he's he's been tweeting things like, like liberate michigan liberate virginia liberate minnesota and this is this is now going hand in hand with 
a series of protests that are going on all over the country where people are, they're going up to state houses, they're going into federal buildings, they're knocking on doors, they're getting in traffic, they're having confrontations with health, health workers everywhere, they're violating the lockdown procedures. A lot of them are sort of draped in the American flag. It's this whole thing. Uh, and, and this is going hand in hand with this, uh, you know, the cure is worse than the, the disease argument that's being made. Uh, among all, of all people, Dr. Phil went, went there this week in a way that I thought was pretty crazy. Dan, if we could see that video. 250 people a year die from poverty. And the poverty line is getting more. such that more and more people are going to fall below that because the economy is crashing around us. And they're doing that because people are dying from the coronavirus. I get that. But look, the fact of the matter is we have people so dying. 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents, 480,000 from cigarettes, 360,000 a year from swimming pools, but we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this and the fallout is going to last for years because people's lives are being destroyed pretty sure the number isn't 360,000 from swimming pools i think it's probably 36 i also think the number for people dying of poverty is a little higher than that maybe he maybe he inverted swimming pools and poverty deaths maybe yeah i'm pretty sure there isn't much of a venn diagram there but look i i, I understand where people are coming from with like at some point you do have to have a, a, a discussion right. about you know when, when 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 do we just start dealing with this as a fact of life right yeah. like we we deal with all sorts of other issues um that are fatal right and are, are killing us and we start dying from birth and that's all you know part of the reality but this is this is something that's totally different right i mean you know it's a communicable disease that is extremely contagious and its effects are we, we just don't know a whole lot about right, it yet right. it's only yeah. been a month you know like from from trump's point of view he's done a lot of things in office that are questionable yeah but he but but i always felt with him that he did he did uh usually have some kind of long-term long-range political aim uh, uh, that that animated most of what he did here he i think he actually believes the this idea that the state these state lockdowns are part of a conspiracy to ruin his his economy you know uh, can you explain it any other way yeah no it's funny it's like usually and we made this point last week we make it a lot which is that there's so much like wasted capital blown on the Russiagate stuff or on the is this legal stuff or what what we have to add to that is the is the bi-weekly publication of a piece that analyzes Trump's psychiatric uh, psychological state that is like I love those but but again that takes away and distracts from the really egregious things that he does and the flip side of that is that like Trump has a lot to say about the media going after him unfairly like the example he just gave right but then this is him like, why is he wasting that capital on the allegation that the Corona stuff is a conspiracy to take him out of office? Yeah. So uh, it's like the equal opposite thing that he's doing. But you know, I, I would also point out, though, that, that this is exactly why the it was a mistake to overhype all these different storylines with Trump for all yeah. this time, you know, dating back to when he was first a candidate they they, they use maximus maximalist language about him uh, constantly and it constantly turned out not to be exactly the case right yeah. 
and what ended up happening is we, we completely lost the ability to reach these audiences. So now if we want to say to people, hey, actually, okay, yeah, we get it. You're upset about the lockdown, but you really just can't go outside. Just not, right. not for a little right. bit longer. There's no cred. No There's no cred. There. This, is a, this, is a, this is a boy who cried wolf situation. This, exactly. this is exactly that parable. And this for me is, is a, as, as bad a situation for the news media as we've had in a long time. Like the, the inability to convince people um, of the need to to uh, stay indoors during this yeah. thing is, is just crazy. And I say that as somebody who's, who was like skeptical of government power, you know what I mean? Like, like, and you've even been skeptical of how to respond to this. Right. I mean, we, more than others. Yeah. But it's still, an, it's, it's an unknown, but you just, you just can't be urging people to go right. outside in crowds yeah. and like, you know, and have, it's just crazy. These people are going to be, we're, we're going to be finding out that these people are going to end up yeah. sick and of die course, soon, yeah. you know? It's very, so. it's very tea party energy, big, big tea party energy. Right. Right. But, uh, and just to, just to be clear, even talking about this, as a strictly Trumpian thing is, is, is the kind of thing that's going to trigger people because again, as we've talked about, Democrats did this with their own primaries. Yes. You know, and I mean, they're what, the ones who are supposed to, it's different, right? This is an overt, but this is kind of the difference between Trump and Dems in a nutshell. It's like his is so overt and such obvious, an obvious call for reckless right. behavior. Whereas the Dems, it's like this subtle, sometimes ambivalent mixed messages thing although to be fair that may just be joe biden's mind not a political strategy when he within the same interview both said that people should have voted and shouldn't have voted in wisconsin right but um it is true that that doesn't get the attention it deserves because these optics are so over the top so actually trump if you're trying trump settle down so that the media can cover the dems role (laughs) in getting people to vote right I think he's going to change. I mean, as we've seen, his approval rating is tanking because of this. Um, it was all the because way of up. What the corona? I think no, because of this this last week or so of of mismanagement. Um, of encouraging uh, people. To, yeah. Encouraging, yeah. Like he was up at forty nine. Now he's down near forty three. Like he'll he'll notice that. So yeah. let's hope he pays attention to it. But this this is a true Republican suck kind of a thing and yeah. um, we'll check to see how that goes next week all right what do we what, what's next are we are we we, we kind of switch roles right so terrible is actually speak speak of the devil or the devils literally let's let's look at this tweet by from Jordan Yall. he's a kind of ideal he's a kind of ideological friend of the show so um, as Jordan Ohl points out, seeing a ton of people on the left point the finger at Republicans for Wisconsin, yet make no mention of the atrocity in Illinois, where an, where an entirely Democratic state government, top to bottom, held in-person voting and were applauded by the DNC and establishment groups, and people died. And there's a story at the Chicago Tribune um, after a Chicago poll worker dies from COVID-19 and others test positive, city warns voters they might have been exposed to virus at polling places. And this is something I actually wrote a piece about, two pieces about, because um, as we saw Biden's, uh, a senior aide for the Biden campaign, straight up lied and said that the CDC had said it was safe to vote in these uh, elections when they had just said that meetings of 50 plus people were not recommended. Um, And then we saw Biden, he was kind of bi-curious, Biden-curious about voting uh, within one interview. Um, in Wisconsin. 
And we saw uh, two people at least that we know of in Broward County tested positive. I'm sure there's way more. And then we saw this person, uh, someone die. And it's just like, it's so craven. And again, it's so, I know Tom Perez was pushing for these elections to go forward. And Tom Pritz, is it Tom Pritzker, the governor of Illinois? Pritzker, Governor Pritzker said it was safe and said it was fine to go forward with these elections. And lo and behold, within a few days, he had ordered a stay at home order. So somehow it went from being safe enough for people to be squished into um, voting facilities. And then within a couple of days, it wasn't safe to leave the home. So I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, we've gone and we've gone over this. The the Democrats have been bad have been bad about this. They and also a lot of the media organs that are now freaking out about the late response to this are themselves also people who Yeah. Know, so And, and there was one guy be, on MSNBC, Tom Gura Gura, Tom Gura, I think his name is. He's the only person who I saw remotely push back on this. He had Lori Lightfoot on, a mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Chicago. And he asked her if she was after the stay-at-home order was given. He asked her if she. He was like, "I know twenty uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, but any any regrets about this?" He's the only person who remotely said anything. Hmm. Uh, that point that asked people to take any responsibility. And then at least it's not only Illinois. At least seven new coronavirus cases appear to be related to Wisconsin's election. Milwaukee Health Commissioner says, and that's from April twenty-first. Yeah. Uh, if for isn't that weird? We we. we... He touched a little bit on this on odd COVID products that are popping up. Uh, there's also popping up. Wait, wait for it, guys. <laughs> that turned that will turn out to be a pun in a moment. And also, we, we, we have talked a little bit about the odd headwear choices that people have been making to, to try also to protect themselves. So let's take a look at this this one story, uh, which I think is inspirational and is going to be useful in enforcing enforcing social distancing. Mom wears penis face masks so COVID idiots kindly back the fuck up. As U.S. COVID idiots routinely ignore social distancing measures, uh, one enterprising Utah mother has devised an unorthodox way to ensure the potential coronavirus spreaders stay away, a penis-covered face mask. Now, her phallic apparatuses... Shouldn't that be apparatus? Her phallic apparatuses are selling like hotcakes. It was never my intention to sell masks, Mindy Vincent tells the Post. She credits her genius son for devising the idea to sell them as a way to raise money for the nonprofit she runs, the Utah Harm Reduction Coalition in Midvale, Utah. So basically, she's got a mask that she's wearing, so her face is just covered in like decorative penises micro penises i mean they're not intentionally micro but because we're talking about a mask that has multiple penises on it they have to be small they do have to be small yeah Yeah. i don't know if that's exactly the thing that i would wear if i were really really trying to get people to stay away from me uh dan if we could look at the this other article with the list of people with coronavirus masks on there are there are a couple that are a little bit more off-putting so okay first of all number 22 oh my god for listeners there were two tampons one tampon in each nostril and then a maxi pad uh covering the mouth pretty resourceful it is resourceful i I like number 12 also it's kind of a throwback it says plague doctor with garlic but it's basically the spy versus spy mask isn't it dan yeah but with garlic hanging off of it and it's pretty ominous looking oh yeah it is scary wow the garlic part is scary number 30 actually i have a personal affection for it dan if you could go down oh fennel that's just a slice of fennel i like that because fennel smells really good 
Is that fennel or is it an onion? So, okay, there's a cut, there's like a dissected vegetable that this guy has put in front of his face with the help of the of rubber bands. So it's like a mask, a I veggie think mask. Did, that's very classically like a Russian solution, just yeah. to put, put whatever is there. And then the, the last one is uh, number 37. Oh my God. First of all, they're driving a vehicle, a little thing to drive around in the supermarket. And it seems to have just a plastic bag over her head. There's just a lot of things going on there all at once. The point, the point being that we're, we're going to see some really interesting stuff coming from people. Like you, you, you see uh, people put, doing things like putting shoes over their face. Then there's the people who are ironic. Like they put, they'll put like an antivirus CD over their face. Oh, God. Like they're being, they're being jokey. I don't know. Just don't go outside, right? Isn't that a better, better solution? Let's talk about the, the Trump press conferences, because this is an ongoing controversy, an issue that's been uh, a more, almost a constant for as long as this crisis has gone on, has been this internal dilemma that the networks have been having about, you know, whether Trump's press conferences, should we, should we run them in full or not? And we're seeing what we're seeing are, are sort of waves of self-righteous indignation coming from press figures who are saying, insisting that we should just stop, stop running these press conferences in full. And the latest one was from Charles Blow on the New York Times. Dan, if we could just see the editorial. Stop airing Trump's briefings is the name of- Exclamation point at the end. Exclamation point at the end. And if we could just scroll down a little bit. It's a really cool photo, actually. So, so he, uh, Charles Blow is making the point at the beginning of his article that um, Donald Trump got mountains of free coverage during the 2015-2016 election cycle and that ended up sort of redounding to his benefit helping him get elected he then transitions from that point to this new point about what's going on now during the uh, coronavirus uh, crisis so he makes the point now i fear the history is repeating itself for over a month now the white house has been holding its daily coronavirus briefings and most networks cable news channels and major news websites have been carrying all or parts of them live as millions of people trapped inside and anxious have tuned in. The briefings are marked by Trump's own misinformation, deceptions, rage, blaming, and boasting. He takes no responsibility at all for his abysmal handling of the crisis, while each day he seems to find another person to blame, like a child frantically uh, flinging spaghetti at a wall to see which one sticks. And then he goes on to to quote some of the people who in the, in the media business who have discuss this. Ted Koppel uh, at ABC was one of them who said, you know, training a camera on a live event and just letting it play out is technology, not journalism. Uh, the question clearly is whether his status as president of the United States obliges us to broadcast his every briefing live. Uh, and Koppel's answer was no. So a couple things about this. First of all, private networks absolutely have the right to not broadcast the president. In fact, I, I would pretty strongly argue that's not what they're there for. Like, they're, they're, that's what C-SPAN is for. Like, if you want uh, right. to see the whole unfettered you know, performance of some kind of official, um, we have an outlet for that. They have their own websites that we have C-SPAN. There are plenty of places to go see that. The news traditionally is for taking the, bit, the most important bits, delivering them to you, uh, contextualizing, doing all that stuff. Uh, so why aren't they doing that now? So now they're having a crisis because they're all running these these pressures in full, 
And it's it's incredibly obvious what this crisis is about. The crisis is about the fact that Trump is using these pressers as de facto uh, campaign appearances because he, he's not able to do that. And everybody's upset about that because for a time period anyway, uh, his approval ratings were going up as these broadcasts were reaching lots and lots of households. The average was about 10 million a week. So this just makes the press look incredibly petty, I think, to me, because the reason they're putting this stuff on in the first place has nothing to do with ethics or an obligation to put on put the president on. They're doing it because it makes money. Right, ratings. Shows get ratings, right? And it's not even a lot of ratings. You know, as, as CNN itself pointed out last week, it, cable news viewership is up generally during this time period. So if you think about Trump's audience in terms of it's 10 million overall spread out over all the networks, CNN, it's maybe 2.1 million heading into Trump's pressers and then goes up to 2.3, 2.4, then goes back down to 2.2 after he leaves. So they're basically putting these on the air because they want a couple hundred thousand extra household right. you know, viewers. And that's the reason that it's it's cheap, easy TV. They don't have to do a whole lot of production. And so I find this debate totally phony, right? Like it's it's all this caterwauling and, and wringing of hands about, oh, we should stop doing this. But, you know, talk to your bosses about what you're doing. You're doing this for the money. You know, right. you're leaving the impression that, oh, we're putting these on because they're newsworthy. We're trying to serve the public. Right. It's one thing to if you're doing it when they're announcing the invasion of Normandy or something like that. Yeah. But on a daily basis, you don't have to do this. And they and they did this a lot during the Iraq period. But in this particular instance, it's abundantly clear that what's going on is that there's a tension in, within these companies over can we can we abandon the ratings right. or can we do it in a way that makes us look less complicit in, in helping Trump? Well, I was right that to, to make the draw the comparison between now and in 2015, 2016, why did we put Trump on the air so yeah. much back then? Because it's cheap ratings, right? You don't have to right. do anything. Last you movie just you said that, right? Yeah, you just put this dude on air and it gets it gets ratings, gets eyeballs. Yeah. You can sell ads to it. And they're doing the same thing now. And, and now they're worried about, you know, that he's disseminating and say, saying, delivering misinformation. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree that, that they probably shouldn't be doing that. But I, I think it's it's a little bit harder to make that case to the public. And uh, w once you've already started doing it, like if they had elected from the beginning to say, OK, well, here's our here's our 10 minute rundown of what of what happened in Trump's presser today. It would look a lot worse than it's going to look when they start taking him off the air, because here's here's what it looks like when you take Trump off the air for a reason that they deem is significant. Uh, Dan, if we could take a look at, so so Trump pulled this thing, I think it was a week ago, where he gets everybody in the presser and he elects to put on this video. And the video is just basically throwing a bunch of shit in the media's face for having been equally wrong about the COVID disaster. Uh, and he, he shows this video and lo and behold, uh, CNN and MSNBC both cut into the broadcast immediately and, and turn it off. But let's just look at what it looks like at the beginning. We have a few uh, clips that we're just going to put up. We could turn the lights a little bit lower. I think you'll find them interesting. And then we'll 
answer some questions. I'll ask you some questions because you're so guilty, but forget it. Uh, but most importantly, we're going to get back onto the reason we're here, which is the success we're having. Okay? Uh, please, you can put it on. Thank you. How worried should Americans be about coronavirus? Coronavirus is not going to cause a major issue in the United States. them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. We are cutting into what was <laughs> not a White oh House coronavirus okay. task force so briefing. I so Trump is, is Trump says we're going to lower the lights. Watch this. He points to someone who's not a right winger or not a Trump person saying that, you know, that the risk of of Corona of Corona is overhyped. And yeah, the, the said, actual yeah. the actual video was more extensive. Like they, they cut out in that clip you don't see all of it like there, there were a number of clips of people saying um you know it, we're not at the level yet where we have to really worry about this is you know the, it's not anything like the flu right. blah, blah blah and look that's where people's heads were at in late january and mid-february and it was a pretty common place for people to be sure. even in the media right so he starts running these clips and then he then it switches on uh, to it says, meanwhile donald trump d- does you know was taking decisive action took decisive action and you start seeing this timeline it, yeah exactly it's, a, it's and, a scrolling timeline and it's kind of funny he points to it like as it's going across the screen right yeah exactly of his, of his decisive actions yeah right because he's watched it 90 times or whatever <laughs> yeah and then like boop right away you know our our emailboard pops in and says like we're we're cutting into this because uh you know it's not really a coronavirus briefing and our emailboard of msnbc yeah yeah of msnbc and and look that just looks that's a terrible look isn't it yeah he's such he's so good at trolling the media and the dems but we wouldn't be having this problem if they if they hadn't already cornered themselves if they hadn't already taken the bait of, gosh, you know, let's let's get two and a half million households and just, you know, keep them on the air for a couple right. hours every day. And, you know, we won't have to do anything. You know, we can right. sell a ton of cornflakes that way. Right. And they and now they're like, oh, wow, we have to do something about this ethical issue. It's too late. Once you start doing right. that, it, right. just, yeah. it just makes you look petty and makes you look. Right. Uh, selective and vindictive once and it, it also is this dangerous combination of constant coverage and constant outrage and the boy who cried wolf the boy who cried wolf blitzer <laughs> yeah i don't know i i think this is and, and this is a debate that's been ongoing it's going to keep going and it, it gets worse every time they say things like he's using this as an opportunity uh to replace his campaign appearances and we don't want to be party to that, you know, well, that's not a reason to not do it. Like the yeah. reason to not do it is because, you know, you're a major news network and you should be doing your own programming, frankly. Right. You know what I mean? You should be right. reporting the news and stuff rather than. They should really read Hate Inc. <laughs> that's right. That Tybee's book right. and look yeah. at the way that they need to, that they're just peddling certain talking points in a very narrow parameter of, of debate. Thank um, you, Katie. I appreciate it. Yeah, wow, you're pimping, pimping my book. I just I blurbed it. your book. Yeah, yeah that's excellent. You're like I was wait. I hope I thought you'd never do that, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> no, this has been going on for so long now that it's just it's just it's just frustrating that we can't get uh, more openness about what that's all about. Should we talk about uh, Joe Joe Biden's fig newtons? Oh my God! Yeah. Let, let's think about it this way. 
Donald Trump has this awesome daily massive yeah. platform for spreading his views on everything. And every network is pushing it out there in one form or another. So what do we have in the Democratic side? What's right. what's Joe Biden's platform? So never never say that Joe Biden doesn't have his own great media game. Um, so this Joe Biden has a, uh, a podcast called Here's the Deal with Joe Biden, which is so perfect. You know, it's so in line with the way he just sits, tells these hard truths, like in your gets in your face and tells these hard truths like why listen, do you vote fat. For, listen, fat. Uh, go vote for Trump. Why don't you vote for Trump? So this, he, he's had a bunch of episodes, but this is one from, uh, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't play this one because I think it's the best one, the best clip. Sure. This is from, um, so there's a tweet that says, what do fig newtons and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches have in common? Listen to this preview of this week's podcast to find out and then check out the full episode. Are fig newtons your favorite snack? <laughs> well, uh, they're among the favorite. You know why? They're small and I can sneak them. <laughs> I, you know, you can buy little packs of them, and I get them on the uh, on, on the planes when I fly back and forth. And but the thing that is the thing that everybody makes fun of me that when in doubt, I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But I learned everybody was making fun of that, and I found out John Kerry has the same addiction: peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwich is always good. My, my daughter and I enjoyed it when you were in Michigan, and you shared your fig newtons with us. We oh, that's them. right! I had some then. I remember that. Yeah, no, I always, I always have a little packs of them with me. Uh, okay, so that's Joe Biden talking to Governor Gretchen Whitmer of um, Michigan. Uh, and apparently, I guess at one point in time, he shared some of his fig newtons with her. But there's just some kind of weird, creepy thing about him talking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and uh, how he likes to sneak them. But well, the, he, the, he, no, the weird, he sneaks the fig newtons. The fig newtons. Sorry, right? He has a double addiction. I mean, to be fair, you and I was—I was really asking you about your ice cream eating habits. So this is fair game. But it's a little weird that this is the the clip that they cut out as like a teaser. Um, right. It's not like the most compelling content. Yeah, it's 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 more like the stuff you would talk about in a commercial. Break. Yeah, for for fig newtons. But it's also funny because it's the episode is Joe Biden chats with uh, Gretchen Whitmer on COVID nineteen response, and then that's the title, and then the actual content is fig newton related. It's fig newton related. Very strange. What else do we have? We had a couple of more stone moments this week, right? We got some young people for Biden, and then then we'll get to a very good Biden anti endorsement. So let's let's watch this young people for Biden ad. I was like outside, um, I was kind of just standing there on my phone. We all knew that he was coming out. I was just like, hi, Vice President Biden, how are you? Like, I was like freaking out. Like, I just hear like a roar and then I was just like, oh my gosh, you can kind of see him from like the very back of my selfie. It's been my Facebook profile picture for the last four years. It's not a very good picture of me, but it is a picture of me with Vice President Joe Biden. I lived in Delaware all my life, so I grew up, uh, you saw him at the grocery store, getting some coffee on our college campus. I worked um, at the university and he just came and he walked into my job, asked us a couple questions about what we like to do. He's really trying to get to know each one of us and you could see that, you know. He's just like your cool family member that you know or like a family friend that you just spoke to. He's like, hi, but like, I wouldn't call him Joe, but like if I knew him well enough, I'd be like, hey, Joe. That's the kind of vibe I get from him. I've always loved politics. I've been involved in campus organizing since my freshman year. All politics is personal when you live it. The reason I'm here today is because I really believe in Joe Biden. Please keep doing your thing. Like, I need you to win. I love this guy, and I gotta, I gotta help him become president for sure. 
<laughs> How many likes were there in that video? Yeah, it was just so it was so sad because there was like so I went to a Bernie rally in 2016 at Washington Square Park, and um, I met a woman who had worked in a, uh, a a diner in coffee shop or whatever in Burlington, and she was saying how nice he was, and I was like, oh, what ha what do you mean? She's like, oh, he was always like gave a nice tip, and he and we we would try to offer him free refills in his coffee, and he'd always say no, and he'd always talk to us, and he was very, very friendly. You know, they had like real kind of like examples of Sanders' personality. And this is just like, it literally is just describing someone moving around. Yeah, he, he walked in and then he turned this way. <laughs> That's going to be a difference maker with the youth vote. And there are like four of them. Listeners and viewers may remember we had another very good um, PR ad put out by, oh my God, this was back in the day when we thought Biden had no chance. But a bunch of Biden volunteers tried to come up with 23 reasons why they like Biden and they couldn't even come up with 23 separate ones. They had to repeat some of them. God, like how climate. wrong were we? Like climate. I know you even said that you like Biden, that you were going to vote for him kind of in a joking way. Right. What if that pushed him over the edge in the primaries? It wasn't Obama. It wasn't Possible. moderate consolidation. It was Matt Taibbi. It's all, it's all my fault. Yeah. Didn't Biden get an interesting anti-endorsement? Oh, he did. Yeah. Let's see. Um, so I was actually tweeting. We were asking people for their their questions, you know, fan people, fan, fans of the show for their questions. I think that's how it came up. And somehow someone shared this thing that I did not know about, which is that um, there was a report that bin Laden said Biden was unprepared to be president. Before his death, Osama bin Laden wanted to kill President Obama, in part because he thought Vice President Joe Biden was, quote unquote, unprepared to serve as president, according to newly declassified documents first reviewed by The Washington Post. The Al Qaeda leader explained the rationale for targeting aircraft carrying Mr. Obama and General Sign the rationale. David Exactly. Bin Laden said the reason for concentrating on them, as in Petraeus and Obama, is that Obama is the head of infidelity and killing him automatically will make Vice President Biden take over the presidency. Biden is totally unprepared for that post, which will lead the U.S. into a crisis. Is there is there a video of what of him ranting and raving about Biden? Yeah, I mean, that would be that would, uh, that would I'd just great. be curious to see if Trump would actually go there with a video. Oh, you mean has Trump turned this into a campaign ad yet? No. Yeah, I'm Osama bin Laden. I approve this message. <laughs> right. I mean, it's almost, to be fair, it is almost an endorsement, right? Because if, well, you could go either way. Either you could say Biden is so bad and so unprepared that Osama bin Laden, enemy of America, didn't even think it was worth taking him out. Or you could say, well, look, Osama, uh, Biden has been smeared by the likes of Osama bin Laden. So that's a yeah. good good blurb for me, yeah. I choose to look at it the the, the former way. We got to hit the Biden versus Trump quiz. Uh, everyone like one one likes to see Katie and I competing. Yeah. Katie Maybe. takes this way too seriously for me. It's just yeah. whatever. It's just a game. So Matt doesn't have a competitive bone in his body. So Dan, what do we got? Here's the first one. Quote: Well, with these two folks that you're about to meet, if you haven't already, there's no doubt about them staying oiled and lubricated here, ladies and gentlemen. There's no doubt about them staying oiled and lubricated here. Biden. Yeah, I'm going to say Biden, too. It's Biden. <laughs> All right. I'm betting on your bets, Katie. Yeah, it's a good way to go. All right, here's another one. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created by the, you know, you know the thing. Oh, I know that one. Biden. Yeah, it is Biden. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. Quote. 
My whole life has been heat. I like heat in a certain way. <laughs> I like heat in a certain way. I would say Trump, and then the Matt Taibbi part of me would say Biden, but I'm going to stick to the Katie Halper way and say Trump. I'm going to say Trump. Trump. Wow. We're, uh, we're in sync. We have one more? Quote, I'll probably will do it, maybe definitely. I- I'll probably will do it, maybe definitely? Yes. What do you think, Katie? Trump. I'm going to say Biden. Trump. sorry matt all right wait one more all right i have one more quote you're telling me we have to go spend money to keep them from going bankrupt the answer is yes that's what i'm telling you biden yeah it is biden yeah it's biden fuck i didn't even know that for sure i just got the biden vibe from it so what now i'm down one one two Uh, All right. Well, that was a disappointing and I I think not representative. Very gratifying. Very representative round. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, all right. Very good. Very good. Good job, Katie. Well done. Um, You know, I'll give credit where credit is due. I have better BIDAR. You do have better better BIDAR than I do. But uh, we have a great conversation to go to. Somebody we've already had in the show, uh, Senator Nina Turner. And a lot has happened between now and then. Uh, We want to talk to her about a lot of things, including sort of the future of the movement that she was uh, such an integral part of. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. All right. So hang in there and we'll uh, let's talk to Senator Nina Turner and uh, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah. All right. Welcome, Senator Nina Turner. Uh, It's been a little while since we talked to you. A lot lot of stuff has happened in the interim. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on, uh, you're you're a, a figure that excites so much enthusiasm among uh, people who fe- who were behind the Bernie Sanders movement, but there's a lot of anxiety and despair uh, among that segment of the population right now. Can you lay out for for folks why they shouldn't be depressed going forward about the future of the movement that you are such a big part of, and where do you go from here apart from just uh, taking part in this next election? And thank you so much for that, Matt and Katie. It's a pleasure to be back with you guys. And you've been doing such extraordinary work out there. And it is very much appreciated. I believe when history is written, you guys are going to be among the progressives who have a network and they're using your 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 cachet to really shake things up and make sure that people are informed across the board. As far as where it is, well, people should not be... It's okay to have a moment of grief. I want to acknowledge that sadness, heaviness. Don't want to gloss over that because we know that in 2016, people did make Bernie Kratz in particular, the the progressive left by extension, really feel bad about having grief and mourning and being sad. So I want to acknowledge that straight up. I acknowledged it in 2016 and I am here as a leader in this movement to acknowledge it right now. But where do, and where do we go from here? It's not a but, because it's a very human emotion to feel some type of way about what just happened in 2020. And then on top of the pandemic, which is really sucking so much energy from people, just the the total unknown. So either you're impacted, all of us are impacted either directly or indirectly by this pandemic. And certainly what's happening in the body politic does not make it any easier. So I want to pause for a minute and say, I acknowledge it and I get it. And though we have to plan 
for the future. And so we must find promise in the problem. The same issues or value proposition, if you will, or vision that the progressive left was fighting for is still true today. It was true two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, four years ago. It is true today that we still need Medicare for all. We especially get that right now that we need universal health care as we approach, what, 20 million people who have lost their jobs and still counting. We know very clearly that health care should not be attached to a job. We still need college for all. We still need a Green No Deal. So all of those things. And guess what? We made history. We don't pause enough to just that. Yeah. And, and this movement is young. We're just getting started. This 21st century movement is young. And so we must continue to organize. The progressive left must be more agile than we've ever been. We were not agile during this 2020 presidential election. We must analyze. We must do a postmortem about what happened in the 2020 presidential election and use the lessons learned to fuel us moving forward. But we cannot, don't, we can't have our heads down. We have been successful because all of the issues that we animated starting in 2015 with Senator Sanders' first presidential run changed the body politic in this country, not just for Democrats, but the entire country. So we need to take stock in that and build on that. What, what do you mean by um, being agile? What does that agility look like? And where did you see this lack of agility? I saw it, Katie, when the corporate Dems coalesced uh, around one candidate. They did it very quickly. They saw the successes in Iowa. They saw the successes in New Hampshire. Nevada blew it out the water. And they were very clear that had we had that same type of success or even just even a smaller gap between Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden, that it would have been over. And so they calculated that and they responded very quickly where you had the uh, the third place candidate being uh, Mr. Bujek and the fifth place candidate being Senator Klobuchar coalesced very quickly around the second place candidate at that time, which was Vice President Biden and everybody in between from Beto and others who coalesced so quickly. I don't think anything like that in, hist in American history has been done. And the progressive left did not have an answer for that. And also we didn't really have a lot of time between South Carolina and Super right. Tuesday. Bam! Right. You know? And so they didn't really see us coming in 2016. Think about that. We won 13 million votes, 22 contests. They didn't see it, but they actually planned for 2020. And so we as progressives sometimes get so caught up on being right on the issues and having righteous indignation that we fail to understand that this is not just about who has the best ideas for humanity, which we do. 99% of our ideas are the best and the right ideas. Let's just go on the record and say that. Yeah. But this, this, this is about power and it's about who has it and how they wield it. And so we have to plan to win the seats that have the power that will make the change that we need. And we got to act as quickly as corporate Dems act. Mm. Well, that was the question I was going to ask. So uh, just in terms of concretely, how, how do you how do you get power in America? How do you how do you win in an electoral system that we have? You fixed a lot of the problems the, and you, you overcame a lot of the obstacles that that you were looking at in 2016. The money issue, I think, uh, Bernie, this time around, proved that you, you can actually raise an enormous amount of money doing the can, kind of campaign that you that you ran. Um, the media didn't have 
that wasn't as big of an obstacle as it as it might have been. And in other words, despite the fact that they were almost the corporate press was almost universally against Sanders, um, it, it, it didn't affect people as much as it could as it could have. But what's the next step? Like next time around, when you when you run, what what concretely can you do? to offset some of those issues i mean do you have to do you have to plan better in certain communities do you have to knock on more doors do you have to develop an alternative news network like what what are what are some things that that might you might think well, about man, you you named it all i mean you just hit the nail on the head absolutely uh independent networks which people who occupy the space that you and katie occupy along with others like tim black and kyle and mike you know i'm gonna get in trouble i mean because I'm not naming everybody, y'all forgive me, but all of the progressive uh, folks out there that are using their uh, either YouTube channels or whatever they're using, their podcasts to get out alternative media, yes, there should be some coming together of progressive out um, progressive outlets like that to talk about do you form a network. That's one thing that can be done. And also, Matt, you hit the nail on the head in terms of starting earlier. 2024 is coming. We know this. We have Turner no- 2024. Hey, that, that might be a possibility. <laughs> yeah, you should announce like, right oh, here. Hey, it's, it's a announced right here. That might be. When you, so, but we know 2024 is coming, so we need to plan right now. We need progressive organizations and also progressive individuals to come together and form some type of pact, P-A-C-T, with one another about what we fully expect and what we're going to fight for. And you don't have to lose your organization's individual autonomy to say that the progressive left is going to come together, put together some issues that we can stand strong on and be out in the community. And being out into the community is going to change because of the virus. So we got to be very forward thinking about what community and coming together looks like. And keeping in mind that so many of our sisters and brothers, you know, as I've traveled the country, I recognize that a lot of folks don't have access to Internet. You know, when you go into the rural communities, both black rural in South Carolina, white rural in places like Iowa, that is a problem that we are going to have to solve, not just the progressive level, but as a nation, there, there should be no places where people can't get connectivity. And those of us who are in urban areas, we really take that for granted. And as many roads as I've traveled down and trying to find the right spot to get a connection. So we are going to have to redefine what getting out in the streets actually means. It's going to be a combination. And we are depending more and more on social media, on the internet to be able to bring community together. But there's no reason. We should have been planning the day after the senator suspended his campaign, actually. And it's not too late to do that. We need to do that right now. The virus has had an interesting impact on, or could, on this movement, couldn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be pushing people in directions and uh, to think about things in ways that they've never thought about them before, right? Clearly, the employer-based healthcare system has been a total catastrophe, right? People are gonna—they're gonna have to rethink that almost out of necessity, pretty soon. Um, it, Matt, on that point, what is there to think? We need universal right. healthcare right now. I'm really over it. I mean, people are literally dying. I know you all, I'm old enough to remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember when Governor Sarah Palin was talking about death panels just because right. you know we wanted the ACA and nothing was further from the truth. But right now, it's real. Mm-hmm. People are literally dying. And if they're not physically dying, they're losing their livelihood. And one of the greatest expenses that individuals and family 
have is their health care costs. Yet we got folks playing games in the Congress. See, let's not play with this. We, we don't have to wait to swear in the next president of the United States of America to actually put everybody on Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Medicare right now. Let's go do it. Let's try this on out during the pandemic. Let's see if this works. I'm sure that the people who, yeah. you know, you remember, I'm old enough to remember on the debate stage when people said, oh, Medicare for all who choose, or let's yeah. not forget about all of the health care that people fought for on their jobs and they don't yeah. want to lose it. Guess what? They don't have a job. And so therefore right. they don't have health care. And it is cruel and immoral for that Congress, be they Democrat or Republican, not to stand up unequivocally and say, right now, in this moment, we're going to give the people what they need, instead of constantly giving the billionaire class what they need. See, this predatory capitalism, I don't necessarily, you know, some people, we can debate the merits or lack of a capitalism. I'm not here to do that tonight. But there is a predatory nature yeah. to the type of capitalism that we have in this country right now. And something ought to be done about it. And that Congress has the power right now. I mean, Matt and Kenny, if I, if I could do any, I want people to think. Be free thinkers. It's okay, you're free. Be a free thinker. And understand that even in the midst of a damn pandemic, that those folks in Congress who are on recess right now, go figure. How the hell do you go on recess when people are dying? And if they can figure out to continue to put in these stimulus packages more and more money to give the big business, meanwhile on Main Street, people are dying. Our essential workers, you know, I was just blessed enough to go to a grocery store just, you know, just a little while ago and to see all of the grocery store workers with with um, clear masks over their face, over their little plastic, little um, plates over their faces and masks and they're risking their lives every single day so that we can go to the grocery store and you mean to tell me that we cannot make sure that garbage workers the, the, the store clerks everybody that's on the front line they deserve hazard pay and we deserve Medicare for all right now and you know what Democrats can make that happen go on and, go on and do, do the thing in the house let's do this let's send something over to the Senate let's, let's give them an offer make them an offer they cannot refuse well, uh, I, actually, I mean, I don't understand why. So with with the rescue package, the CARES Act, it for on the financial side, it's radical. It's sweeping and it's radical. They just threw two trillion dollars. It's really six trillion dollars when you get into how much they can lever up the, yeah. the money in the Fed and everything. And they basically said, this is an extraordinary situation. It's for, force majeure. We have to, we have to just prop up all the financial markets. We're going to, we're going to completely rethink how we do business. Let's not worry about real prices or any of those things. But when it comes to healthcare, they just, it's like a classic Democratic Party thinking. Like, let's, how much does it cost? Right. Yeah. They, they, they just have to make it complicated and they can't, I just don't understand that. I think what you're, what you're saying makes a lot more sense. Why not just say for the moment, um, okay, we're in the middle of this thing. Is everybody just goes on Medicare for now? Right. right? Just do it. They can do that. I want your listeners. I want people who are watching us to know they can do that before they can. the next president is sworn in. Right. They can do that right now. Right. Ain't no mystery. 
we can't just take a break or be gearing up for 2024, right? Like, That's right. it's not just every four years that we have to. We got to give a shit right now. Yeah. <laughs> that? As opposed you... to giving a shit later. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Give a shit right now. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag. That's hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. Do you feel liberated in your new role kind of as a, or I guess you were this, you know, you were part of a campaign and a very integral part of it and a very, you know, one of the faces of this campaign. It, I'm sure, as you were saying, there's a sadness, but do you also feel this new kind of freedom in how you can be and speak? Not that you really mince words before, let's be honest, but uh, yeah, what, is there a difference for you now? Yeah, no, I understand exactly what you're saying, Katie. I mean, I understand politics, and when you are at the service of somebody who has their name on the ballot, that's exactly what you do. So yes, there does come an extra level of freedom um, for being in this phase of my leadership journey, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, Black girl magic to the 100th degree is about to <laughs> unleash. <laughs> but it's not happening with, uh, like, I think I, I heard you on Breakfast Club uh, saying that there was uh, a task force that that's already out the out of the picture, right? The, the Biden campaign has already made it clear that, that you're not going to have that kind of role with them. Yeah, man, you know, that's their choice. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm with the people. And when you're on something like that, you got to play the game. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to play the game. Right, right. Well, I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense, but it, 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 it's, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's a thing. But it's very telling. Yeah, right. it is. And I, I, progressives are listening to this and they're getting it. They're picking up on that. That's something I think, you know. Yeah. So Angela Yee on The Breakfast Club, she really picked up on that. If you listen to what she's, wait a minute, they don't want a truth teller, they don't, no, it, it, it's okay. It's okay, but it's not okay. It's okay. Right. I really, like, I really appreciated how before you said it's okay to be sad and you don't want to kind of um, gloss over that. And you, you refer to how much, how mean-spirited a lot of the response to, to losing is. Um, and given that we're having this pandemic, what is, and you're a motivational speaker also. Yeah. Um, what is your, what, I guess, kind of pe personal political uh, pep talk or advice you have? How can people be both taking care of their own, like, sanity, mental health, and also be engaging in, you know, changing the world, basically? There is promise in the problem, and I want them to draw upon history that we have been here before. As humanity, we've been here before. There have been crises like this before. And we are going to come, it is our, so yes, you have to do self-care, practice all of that, do the right things, the distancing, meditation, whatever you as an individual can do to find solace within self, because you do have to believe in your heart that a better day is coming. And I'm here to tell you that a better day is coming. We are going to experience some pain, no doubt, and some loss, no doubt, but better days are coming. And then draw upon those, you know, for me, it's the ancestors. You guys know I quote my, my grandmother a lot. It's my African-American heritage that I draw upon. For somebody else, it might be something else. But think on these things, whatsoever things that are good, think on these things. So whatever you have to do to center yourself, to know that no matter what you're going through, things are going to get better. And then beyond that, join something. Don't yeah. sit idly by. You know, I, 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 was, I was talking to Reverend Jax, Jesse Jackson a few weeks ago, and he was saying, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said there are dark days, but a lot of great things can happen in the dark. You can still think, you can still write, you can still dream. 
what do you see the world looking like beyond this? There's an African proverb that said that one must never build their shield on the battlefield. Well, it's shield building time right now. So in those moments, we probably have more moments with ourselves now to just breathe a little bit than we ever have in a very long time. The world is as you dream it. What kinds of things, if you could do anything in the world right now, anything in your community, it doesn't even have to be as big as the world, but if you could do anything outside of your survival, which is number one, what would that big, beautiful thing be? Think about those things and then start to plan for those things. We're not going to always be here. I use the, the Great Depression, you know, as one very good example of how even we know ultimately World War One. I, I mean, excuse me, World War Two right. got us out of there ultimately. But some good things came out of that tragic situation. Social Security. Right unemployment, yeah. right? We didn't have those things pre the Great Depression. And so what are the things both structurally, community-wise, and individually that you want to see different and changed permanently post the coronavirus, or at least post getting through these first critical and deadly stages of this virus. Using the unemployment, for example, we know that through the efforts of Senator Sanders and others, that that unemployment insurance now expands to gig workers, right, to independent contractors. That's a plus because before this, it didn't. So now we can't go back to the way that it was. I'm just using these as examples. So there are global things that we need to demand and want and do. There are communal things and then there's also individual things. So there is promise in the problem, but we have to do the work. That work may look differently in the shadow of Corona, but still we have the power. We're not powerless, we are powerful. And we need to use that power and galvanize that to be, in the words of Brother Mahanta Gandhi, the change that we want to see in the world. We've been here before. We're going to get through this. Were you surprised, disturbed, brokenhearted, um, as much as I was about the way the Dems pushed through those elections in Florida, Illinois, um, Wisconsin? We just have seen some reports about poll workers dying. Uh, I, I said this a lot on the show, but to me, I mean, I'm someone who often thinks that the Dems and the Republicans are way too similar, but I kind of didn't think, I didn't make, I was naive. I didn't think that Tom Perez and Simone Sanders would say and do the things that they did in terms of trying to get people out there to vote. I thought that like the Dems were the science party um, more than the Republicans. Uh, and to me, that was just this really rude awakening. What are your thoughts on that? Katie, I was saddened by that. And I, I'm an Ohioan. You know, our primary was March 17th, and I got to give it to... Oh, yeah, Mike DeWine. Got to give it to him. Yeah. I mean, he did what was necessary to put a stop to this election. Not a stop to the election, but to delay Postpone, it. Postpone, yeah. Come on, delay it. Let me choose yeah. my word wisely. And to, you know, make sure that we have vote by mail through April 28th. It's unfortunate that the legislature did not believe in that. It was uh, He wanted it to go through June, right. and but the legislature pushed it back. But back to your initial point, yeah, I was very saddened by that. And I have had the opportunity, I, I want your viewers to know, I had an opportunity to talk to the chairman of the Democratic Party, Chairman Perez, right. and I did express my concerns just as you laid those out, Katie, and made it clear that the Democrat, there are only two, there are two major parties in this country right now. We need one. That's one. It'd be nice if we had two, but we need one of those to actually 
give a shit, right? To care about <laughs> to, to really play games like that and kind of hedge on that just for the sake of elections and putting people's lives at risk. It was not a good look. You know, the chairman shared with me that, you know, they filed some lawsuits in Wisconsin and everything in one. I was glad to see finally they came to that. But at the beginning, it was very clear there was a lot of hedging going on and telling people go out to vote and it's safe to go out and vote. And we know yeah. that that was a damn lie. And it was, it was wrong. So yeah. we have to be the ones, the Democrats need to be the ones that are standing up firmly for the people and just say, hey, vote by mail. Let's strengthen vote by mail. Let's strengthen the levers to ensure that people both have the opportunity to vote, but they do it safely. Let's not put poll workers in danger. We can look at Milwaukee as one of the yeah. biggest and most rotten examples, but you're right. I don't want to, let me go back to, to March 17th because I'm not letting those Democrats off the hook. Yeah, good. The Democratic yeah. governors in Michigan, hello somebody, the Democratic governors in Illinois. Yeah. Right. Flat out. Because it's easy for me. I mean, I can roll right on top of these Republicans. They make it so easy. But right. when Democrats do stuff like that, we got to call out hypocrisy. And they put the lives of their citizens in danger. Yes, they did. You heard it from me. They did it and they did the wrong thing. Now, let's fast forward to, to uh, Wisconsin. And we know using Milwaukee by way of example. And that uh, Democratic governor, you know, I'm told... Uh, by the chairman. He had worked very hard to try to get the Republicans to do the right thing. And I'm glad to hear that part of the story. Sometimes we only know one side of the story. I will say that the Republicans persisted right. in doing what the, what they did. And they put people's lives in danger. And if we look at Milwaukee as one example where they went from 185 polling places to five. Yeah. What the hell? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So come on, Democratic Party. Because the Republicans are doing what they do best, which right. is right. We already—that's not surprising, right? Yeah. And Pritzker in, from Illinois put a stay-at-home order just a couple of days after he said it was safe to vote. It, it's insane, and we got to call it out. I'm glad yeah. that you guys are calling it, it it out because in order for people to trust us and to believe, see, some of this stuff shouldn't be partisan. Right. If, in this moment, we're not exaggerating. This really is about real life and death here. Yeah. That's not a partisan issue. It's a life issue. But it is unfortunate in this climate, and especially in the age of Donald Trump, that the partisanship is so thick that even if the other side has a better idea or a good idea, you know, my grandmother used to say a, a wrong clock is right yeah. twice a day. We still resist it because it came from the other side and it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever and we cannot tolerate it. So I'm saying this to my sisters and brothers, not as a Democrat, but as a free thinking human being that I need you to look at situations and not weigh it about whether or not it was a Republican or Democrat, but let's weigh it about whether it was right or wrong. See, Governor DeWine, the Republican, exactly. did the right thing in yeah. the great state of Ohio. The governors of Michigan and the governors of Illinois, both Democrats, did the wrong damn thing on March 17th. They all had choices. They, choose, they chose the wrong choice. And so that's okay. Let's just call it what it is. Then we can go back to fighting the partisan fight, but when life and death is, is at stake, we ain't got time for people to play games. Right. And also, how are you going to beat the Republicans if we're doing the <laughs> sending off people to die also for, for short term, you know, pragmatic gain? Last question for me. Is there anything strategically in terms of winning in in November that's not being done right now that should that should be done? I mean, I, I get the feeling that they're going to roll with almost exactly the same strategy they went with in 2016, which was is to focus really heavily on Donald Trump's negatives, make his statements the centerpiece of a lot of campaign messaging. Um, 
it didn't really work last time. I feel, uh, it doesn't feel like to me. What do you think the, the, the message should be? What should the, what should the strategy be um, if you're trying to be Trump going forward? Vision and provision. Those of us who know that President Donald Trump is dangerous and he's a fool, he's a megalomaniac, we get that. If you are not a Trumpite, you, you get that. But this pandemic is really showing the fissures within a system that was rigged all along. And now the illusion is gone. We can't pretend that we don't know that those very essential workers who were on the front line, people haggled about whether or not we should give some of them a $15 an hour minimum wage. Come on, somebody. We, we did. We played games with that. We and I'm using we very loosely because it wasn't us, but it was other folks. We now know that the essential workers don't have essentially what they need. In my conversation with Reverend Barber, the exact words he spoke, they don't have essentially what they need, which is paid medical leave, paid family leave. Many of them don't have good health care. So in the face of those of us who already made up our minds that President Donald J. Trump is the worst president in modern history and must be defeated, what are we going to offer the people beyond that? That's why I said vision and provision, that the progressive left has to be given more than trinkets right. if they want to win the vote. And I am just somebody that believes that you ought to win, earn the vote, and not that the vote just be given to you, that the onus is somebody that whose name has been on the ballot, and I've won races, and I've lost races, but I've won races. You, every, every time you run, it's your job, it's my job. It's the person that's running's job to convince you, Katie, to convince you, Matt, that I'm worthy of your vote and not the other way around. So let's go on and put that out there for the record. So vision, what is the vision? How are the material conditions for the people who are suffering the most going to be different? For the African-American community that is dying at higher rates in our numbers in the population because of this virus, again, revealing the racism and anti-blackness that is embedded in this system from the beginning. See, for some of my folks, and I mean my folks in terms of African-Americans, this pandemic, we, hell, we've been in a pandemic. People have been living through a pandemic the entire time. But now that it is impacting everybody, let's not fool ourselves or delude ourselves. If you are Native American, if you are Latinx, if you are poor in this country from all walks of life, who, who really gives a shit about you? So we need vision and provision. So beyond, Matt, you're absolutely right, beyond just saying that Trump is rotten to the core, what is the vision? And then from that vision, what kind of provisions are going to be made for Main Street, for poor people? I mean, poor people, the working poor and the barely middle class. How about universal child care for one? You know, come on, somebody. How about canceling student debt? How about Medicare for all? How about a Green New Deal? How about criminal justice reform or reforming a legal system that has never been just since the inception of this country. You know, right here in my own state, inmates are dying. And the majority of those inmates who are dying are black yeah. and brown and poor. So what are we going to do? Vision and provision on top of saying that Donald Trump is the worst president 
in modern history. Because it, you're right, it didn't work in 2016, and, and we got to compete against a pandemic this time. So what's going to make folks come out or think that anything is going to be different for, for them this time around? We're going to have to work even harder to get people to participate. And when they believe that there's really no difference between both parties or that there's only a difference when it's political expediency, come on. Anything else you want to share, you want to leave people with, tell us about what's next for you, what you want to tell our listeners to do, anything. Oh my God, I I want people to stay tuned. Sister Turner is in full effect, (laughs) S&P, TNT, whatever, yes. Yeah, I am in full effect. Stay tuned. I got some surprises coming really, really soon. Be up. Be focused. Be about love. If you got elders in your life, check on them. Take care of yourself first. We know that when we're flying on the plane, what did right. that ass come yeah. down? Put it on you before you can help the next person. Know that there will be brighter days. There's a song in the African-American crew. Christian tradition that was sung by the Winans family. Ain't no need to worry what the night is going to bring. It'll be all over in the morning. Now, it may take a longer time for us to get to morning. Right. It may take months to get to morning. But we're going to get there, baby. And what is going to be different about you as an individual when we get there? Power is in your hands. Do not feel powerless. It's all right to feel heaviness. It's all right to feel grief but don't feel defeated. Let's be motivated, not by our fear, but by our fierceness. Hello, somebody. See, that's great. So I, yeah. I'm so glad you came on because you should, Katie, when she found out the news about Bernie's uh, campaign being suspended was so down, I, I thought the show was going to be canceled, frankly. We like, found oh, it was live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was live. We were talking. Yeah. And I saw pop up on my laptop that someone was like, why did Bernie uh, qu- drop out? And I was like, um... Did Bernie drop out? And yeah, I was a terrible co-host for that entire show. I was just like. So um, um, you've lifted her spirits, yeah, lifted yeah. both of our spirits. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And uh, and good luck. And, yeah, and come uh, back and, on and, give, and drop the surprise on the show. I will. Thank you all. Thank you both for what you do in this space. We need you. You are beloved. And I know people bump up against you, but baby, just bump them back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Senator. Thank you so Take much, care. Senator. Bye-bye. Take care. That was great. That was great. See, I thought that would I thought that would be a mood enhancer for you. I'm smiling, aren't I smiling? You are smiling. Yeah. You 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 look much improved. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't like terrible after the Bernie thing. I I wanted to ask her, but uh, that point that you made about the media not being as hard on him as last time, or not getting the way as much last time. I don't know how you measure that, but I keep thinking about this issue of like blame versus effect because. I feel like you and I and David Reese last week, there was this Venn diagram where like, I thought I was, exo- as usual, I saw Bernie as like, as wronged, while also acknowledging, as people know, how annoyed I was about his treatment of Biden being too nice. But I see Bernie as wronged and he, sim- you know, and I feel bad for him and I'm mad at other people. And then you kind of saw him as not, as, as like wrong, but at his own, it was his own fault. Like it was on him to get. Well, no, I don't think it's his own fault, but it it's it's on you. If you're running for office, yeah, you got sure. you got to well, got to overcome. Yeah, that's the same thing as fault, kind of. This is this is a discussion that, that has popped up on social media a lot. Like people, when I, when I say that Bernie had to overcome that, 
people get all upset. Like I'm saying, you know, like they, like that, what they want you to say is he had no chance because the media was stacked a hundred percent against them. Well, of course they were stacked a hundred percent against them. I mean, you know, he's trying to disenfranchise. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you got to overcome that. And and that's, that's a possibility. Trump did it, you know, I mean, I hate to bring up that example, but, uh, but, but yeah. And, And I think, you know, she would have had some interesting things to say about what they could have done internally, but we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll have her back on. So, but she's great. She's always very forward thinking. And I think she's, you know, her point about it being a young movement is interesting because the, the conventional wisdom about the Bernie thing, when they're, when they talk about him being old, they're also talking about his ideas being old. Like they're, you know, they're essentially saying that he's an, he's an aging kind of, Marx-inspired FDRites, right, who hasn't really grown out of, but the people who are in his movement come from a completely different generation, and even though they, the the sensibilities um, are still drawn from some of those same intellectual places, it's a new movement, you know what I mean, like, it's, it's not, this isn't like, you know, 1950s socialism, this is something new, and she's right, it's on the ground floor of or 30s or 30s yeah exactly yeah so that's a good point and uh well you know hopefully she's right yeah. i think in, in 2024 bernie's gonna have a really different approach right when he's on when he's 111 years old i'm just yeah. gonna be like a deny like a some weird revi- like future counterfactual future revisionist well thanks for listening to useful idiots for watching useful idiots uh rate, rate us subscribe buy our merch in 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 enormous quantities because what else are you gonna do with your money seriously you know Spend it on us, and then um, uh, in terms of positive America, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way again because if they had Bernie on, that's just uh, that's unacceptable to me. They they've got to uh, every, every, everybody's got to be punished now. So I'm, I'm back I'm back in vendetta mode. Anyway, all right, uh, that was great, uh, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank Stay you. safe, and uh, yeah. we'll see you next week. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll we'll catch you soon. Hey. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.